Thing to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're continuing our Grounded in Genesis series. We'll be reading chapters, chapter 2, not, we're not reading too many chapters, just one chapter. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that's Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Well, you'll have that in your lap, so when we get there, we can read together. One of the major factors that contribute to our lack of production is our lack of sleep. The Sleep Foundation says sleep plays an integral role in health. A good night's sleep empowers us and empowers the body to recover and lets you wake up refreshed and ready for the day. But I think the lack of sleep is a symptom, not the cause. I believe the real problem is lack of rest. Because you can sleep for 10 to 12 hours and still wake up tired. If your mind and your soul is not resting, then sleep is not that beneficial. According to the Sleep Foundation, around 43% of those surveys said they don't get enough sleep. But the number doubles when the subject switches to rest. A study done in 2016 by an online magazine surveyed more than 18,000 people from 134 countries. They found that 68% of people feel they don't get enough rest. That study was over six years ago. Do you think the numbers have gone down since COVID? And all the other stresses we've experienced the last six years, the percentage might have gone up 30% at least. In light of those statistics, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you tired this morning? At least somebody give me an amen, right? Are you mentally exhausted? We are because of him. I know we often follow up those questions with a statement like, then you need more sleep. But the question I ask you today, brethren, Miss Christian, Mrs. Christian, Mr. Christian, do you have trouble resting? Well, if that's your diagnosis, then I have a remedy. Actually, God has a remedy, and we will find it in his word. Let us read. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. I'm reading from the New, uh, from, uh, I'm often reading from the New International, uh, New American, but today I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is God's word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens. Let's pray. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and help us to walk as children of the light, paying careful attention to how we walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of our time because the days are evil. Now, Lord, open our eyes that we may see wondrous works out of your law, giving thanks always to God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In the beginning of recorded time, God created the heavens and earth. Genesis 1-1 says that. Moses details that God created each day on the sixth and on the sixth day, he created the land, animals, and lastly, mankind. Starting with chapter 1, verse 26, there's a longer explanation about humans. And Moses uses most of chapter 2, starting with verse 5, to go into further details about the first man and woman. Squeezed in the middle of that, we find this passage that we just read. In this section about the seventh day, God rested from his work. Are there implications for Christians that God rested on the seventh day? Yes, but let us first explore the text to see what it says and more importantly, what it means. Verse 26 says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, God had not used the term very good before. Up to this point, this may lead some to believe or conclude that the end of God's creation, that this is the end of God's creation, that man is the end of God. That's it. He's done. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is naturally connected to the previous verses. Let me remind you that the chapter breaks are not inspired. Right? It's for us to remember things and to find things, right? That's not in the original text. So if you're reading it, it sounds like, and there was an evening and there was morning the sixth day, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Sounds natural, right? It just goes into that part. The sixth day was not the end, but the seventh day was the end. God concludes the seventh day and has more to say about the seventh day than any other day. The seventh day has a specialness that no other day has. A year after I was born, PBS aired a great show for children. They would try to teach children complex concepts like letter sounds, math computations, and how to compare and contrast. I remember one scene which they would show four pictures of four different children. Three of the children, right, they would put it in four boxes. Three of the children had baseball uniforms with a cap and a bat. And the fourth child had a football uniform on, right? And then they would sing this song. One of these kids is doing his own thing. Come on, can you guess which one? Can you guess which kid is doing his own thing? Guess before my song is done. 
and now my song is done. And then they, the, the person would walk you through, now which, which one is different? And the viewer would have to take clues from the picture as evidence to prove which one was doing its own thing. I want to play that game this morning, but I don't want to use a TV screen. I want to use the scriptures as the picture to see which day is doing its own thing. I would draw your attention to a literary refrain. God created the first day, and in verse 5, he ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. We see it again in verse 8, second day. Verse 13, same refrain, repeated in verse 19 and in verse 23, demonstrating the cohesiveness of the first five days. And day six is no different. Verse 31 says, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But the seventh day does not have that refrain. Thus, setting it aside as a special day of the Lord, doing its own thing, not like the others. The completion of God's creation is summed up in four verses. I read those four verses. Verse 1, if you were paying attention, if you were saying, huh, well, I don't understand that. Verse 1 is almost a repetition of verse 4. Just some different words. In Hebrew, we call that parallelism. The two verses in the center is the emphasis. Right? So you got that and you have that. And the two verses in the middle alerts the Hebrew mind, oh, this is really important. The two verses in the center is the emphasis is the seventh day. The seventh day is mentioned three times. Why don't I just read it to you? And on the seventh day, God finished his work he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it. The it refers to the seventh day. Not only is it repeated three times, but it's made reference to once. The seventh day is special. Again, this day is going and doing its own thing, not like the others. Not only does the position of the text and the structure of this text points to the uniqueness of the seventh day, but the crowning moment is when Moses declared that God blessed and sanctified this day. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God set this day apart. If you are not persuaded by the structure or the position of this text, then what about God? Can we just dismiss it and can we just dismiss what he says? Can we just tuck it away and cry legalism? If he is your Lord, we can't do that in good conscience. God completed his work on the sixth day and rested on the seventh day. We must be careful that we don't impose our understanding of rest onto this text. So this morning, as we did an introduction, I kind of led you down that path. You're probably thinking, rest. Yes, I am very tired. I need a nap. That's just to get you on board. But does the rest here mean that in the scriptures? This does not mean that God has stopped working altogether. Jesus said he was working because his father is always working. He said that in the New Testament. 
God continues to work through his providence and sustaining power. God didn't get in a hammock and just start sipping some tea. Then what does it mean when the Bible said God rested? Well, someone in our family made a lawn chair. He worked on it for about two months, for five days, every day, five days for about two months. When he finished the chair, he started working on another project. He was still working the whole time, but no more work was done on the chair. What did he do with the chair? He brought it home and delighted in the work he had accomplished. The chair was designed to sit in, to recline, and delight in the work of his hands. It was designed for enjoyment. He didn't just enjoy and delight it in himself. He invited our whole family to delight in the work he had accomplished. He would say, come, sit, and enjoy the trees, the wind, and the wildlife. Have lunch. Well, God completed his work of creation. He rested on the seventh day and delighted in what he created. But he didn't just create the earth for his glory. He invites us to sit and participate in his delight of what he created. Remember, our chief end, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God invites you today to come and enter into his delight, to experience a foretaste of an eternal rest in God, we get a little taste of that enjoyment every week when we keep the Sabbath holy. Not only is this day set apart in the opening chapters of Genesis, Moses mentions the seventh day in Exodus 20. If you were here, we read the Decalogue. We read the Ten Commandments. In the first account of the Ten Commandments, there is a refrain. Remember, we talked about the refrain in Genesis. The refrain, and there was evening, and there was day, day one. And there was evening, and there was a day, day two. So the Hebrew mind looks for these things. It's all in the Psalms, these repetitions. And then when there's a break, you, you, you wake, kind of wake up. Wait, 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 there's supposed, to be a, there's supposed to be something here for the seventh day, and it's not. Same thing in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. It could be translated, you shall not, or you shall no longer. This refrain is listed eight times. Right? The Ten Commandments, verse one, the one said, you shall not have any gods before me. No. That's where it starts. No or not. The first time you shall not is missing is guess where? In the fourth commandment. The first time you shall not is missing. Same concept as the opening chapters in Genesis. When there is a break in the refrain, that is the one that is set apart. You shall not remember. And then after that, remember. That's how that starts. Moses repeats chapter 2 of Genesis. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If this commandment is the same as the others, then why break the refrain and provide an extended explanation? Why the emphasis on this commandment? The second commandment has an extended commentary as well. We know why, right? 
You should not create any graven images. What did they do? Or you shall not no longer create any graving images. That's what they did. But the fourth commandment breaks the refrain. Why? This same concept, the seventh day of rest, is carried over into the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4.4 quotes Genesis 2.2. We can't escape the uniqueness and exalted status of the seventh day. God set it aside, and if we're going to be imitators of God, we too must set it aside. In Bruce K. Waltke's commentary on Genesis, he lists seven observations about the Sabbath. One of them, he states that the Sabbath is a sign that the Creator has set Israel apart for a special covenant relationship with him. This would have been a tremendous help when they were being surrounded by the Canaanites. This is a help for us when we are surrounded by the influence of evil. A person who is inclined to spurn and and instead embrace this as a day of indulgence in the flesh should examine himself to see which God he or she is worshiping. Maybe you are still on the fence. You say, people have abused this teaching and have been legalistic about it. And I'm not going back into legalism. I understand that sentiment. We've all come out of some form of legalism. We must acknowledge that the Jews have twisted this gift and abused this practice. In their zeal, they have built a fence around the Sabbath and shrouded it with over 600 laws. So then they end up breaking it. Christians through the ages have abused the keeping of the Sabbath. John Murray the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, not that he did, but he tells a story. In the 1950s, he was once told the story of his friend who was expelled from church. Not, see you later, come back tomorrow or come back next Sunday. Get out. Why? Because he strongly opposed the ordinary, though he, extra, extra, strong, though he strongly opposed the ordinary use of any public means of transportation on the Sabbath, he had insisted that no one should not be condemned for using public transportation as a means of getting to church service. Understand, he did not himself use public transportation, but he only said that if somebody's taking the, taking the bus I don't know, was it a bus back then? Taking whatever transportation to church, they should not be condemned. For that, he was kicked out. We acknowledge that there has been historical abuses, and when it comes to Sabbath keeping, but do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Is it a reason to spurn God's gift that he has given us as a loving father? I really wanted to say right now in this sermon right here, are you a monkey? But I thought, nah, better not say that. I'll say, are you the monkey? You know, the monkey that sticks his hand in a jar and grabs the treat. But he won't open his hand to get the treat out. Are you holding on to the conviction of being free from legalism? That you won't open your hand and receive the heavenly gift that our merciful Father has provided for us? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Sabbath is a good gift that God has given us, and we don't even have to ask for it. Do you have problems resting? Then keep the Sabbath holy. Do you, re- do you, do you do your remembering on the Sabbath day and set it aside as a special day? Not like the others. So maybe you're saying in your heart right now, well, yeah, I guess I do see the specialness of the Sabbath. I agree that God has set aside this day for me to worship him. I see the Bible exalts this day over others. Now what shall I do? Well, commit to spend more time remembering on the Sabbath. Even if it's just 15 minutes more on your Sunday It would be a great place to start. Make a plan. Don't wait to the day of. Plan it out on Friday or Saturday. Write it down. Think about what part of the day those 15 minutes of remembrance will work for you. Write it down. Set an alarm. Hey, Siri, set an alarm for remembrance for 3 o'clock. Sit down on Saturday and make a list of the things that usually trip you up from completing such a task. Maybe you can get those things accomplished on Saturday. The Sabbath observance reminds Israel that they were slaves in Egypt, but an almighty redeemer, and he redeemed them from the servitude into rest. Exodus 20 links the Sabbath to creation, but Deuteronomy 5 links the Sabbath to the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. What else are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? We are to reflect and rejoice in God, our creator, and our Christ. The quote from Wilhelmus L. Brockle, the contemplation of God as creator, first of all, makes it very evident that all of our security, freedom, rest, peace, and happiness consist in the goodness and love of your maker toward you. Sit back and delight in God's creation. Take a walk. Look at the trees turning colors. Consider all the worlds thy hand has made. See the stars, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And maybe you may break out into praise. How great thou art. This takes time, but God has given us many hours on the Sabbath to think, to pray, and talk about our recreation in Christ and the forgiveness of our sins. You don't have enough time, you say? We can all spare five minutes on a Sunday. There's a Christian movie entitled Facing the Giants. In one scene, the coach is trying to conquer laziness in one of his players. He blindfolds him and asks him to do the death crawl across the field. I can't do the death crawl for two yards. I would die. Not literally, but he is screaming at him and to give him his all. God wants your best. Give him your best. The player is crawling and ah, ah, he's crawling and he's the player is crawling and giving all the effort he has. He reaches the end zone and the coach takes his blindfold off. What, has he, what, did, what did he receive? 
the satisfaction of knowing he gave his all. If you have to do the death crawl to keep the Sabbath holy, do it. Crawl with all your might. And what will you receive at the end of your journey? You will find rest for your weary souls. And can't you give your maximum effort to the one who died for you? Even if you give 10 minutes more every Sabbath, at the end of the year, it will be a little over eight hours. That will be the best eight hours you will ever spend in your life. Come on, you can spare eight hours a year. We give our employers eight hours a day. You can give the father of creation, your heavenly boss, eight hours in the Eight hours a year. The climax of creation account is the seventh day. Are you still not convinced? Here are more reasons. The Sabbath is further proof that you are associated with God in a special way. The Sabbath restores our soul and keeping the Sabbath holy humbles us. Keeping the, Sabbath helps, keeping the Sabbath helps us to remain humble. Moses speaks of the Day of Atonement. And he writes in Exodus 23, 10 and 12, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You may humble your souls. How does keeping the Sabbath humble your soul? I don't know. Only God knows. In his great wisdom, this is what he has provided for us as a means of grace. Do you have trouble resting? God blesses the Sabbath and makes it holy in the best interest of all his people. Excuse me. In the best interest of all people and his animals. Why did I make that correction? Because I think we think the Sabbath was created for us to take a nap because of the fall. Right? We got, we're in the fall, and we labor, and boy, are we tired. Our, our muscles are aching, and we need rest. The only problem with that was this was given before the fall. This is a creation ordinance. This is good for all. God instituted the Sabbath before the fall. It is a creation ordinance. God invented or invited Adam and Eve to live and delight in this eternal rest. But they rejected it. And so do we. But we can come and experience that peace and rest through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you have trouble resting, God has provided a day for you to keep. And it is in our best interest to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When Moses wrote this account, the Israelites had just been released from the wilderness. So they're either now in the, in, in the promised land or about to enter the promised land. They have been heavily influenced by Egypt. We see that in the golden calf. And they will be surrounded by pagans whose wickedness have reached divine judgment. Remember when the children of Israel felt like they lost their leader and felt confused? What did they do? They folded under the darkness and created a golden calf to worship. If you've ever been surrounded by unbelievers who attempt to influence you, 
then you know what that feels like. You know how much of a struggle it is to maintain your allegiance to God. The seventh day reminds us that we are in a unique relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit uses that to strengthen us. The Sabbath will remind us not to participate in the works of darkness, but to forsake the works of darkness and live in the light of Christ. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. God gave us this precious gift as a means of grace. Why do we spurn it? Why do we say, no, thank you, God. I don't need your gift. I can do it on my own. You started the work of salvation, and now I will complete it with my own efforts. But Paul says to the Galatian church, having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? All good gifts come from the father of lights. Do we politely reject his gift or do we outright push it away as a child pushes away liver? Keeping the Sabbath and observing the delight of creation weekly reminded Israel again and again that God completes his work. This has Huge implications for the Christian. As we keep the Sabbath holy, we are reminded that God completed his work of creation. This completion points to another who had another work to complete. Jesus' work of redemption started with his perfect life. For without living a pure life, Jesus could not be a ransom for sin. Jesus set out to redeem a people who was not originally God's people. God finished his work and rested on the seventh day. Jesus finished his work of redemption and declared in a loud voice, it is finished. Not only does the seventh day point to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it also points to Jesus' final glorification of his people. Christ offered a one-time sacrifice for sin. He rested. He sat down at the right hand of God. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This reminds us that there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Oh, we spent the majority of time talking about keeping the Sabbath. But let's not conclude that by keeping the Sabbath we'll gain salvation. Mainly, this message was all about, hey, Mr. Christian, Mrs. Christian, Miss Christian, you should consider this. But if you're not, the only thing that the fourth commandment does is what every commandment does. Shows you a mirror of your sin. You can't keep the Sabbath holy, completely, perfectly. Only one person did that. Jesus Christ. So if you've broken the fourth commandment, you are a lawbreaker and the wrath of God is upon you. And there's only one escape from that. And that's Jesus Christ. The Redeemer.
Going back to the text in Genesis, the sixth day all in with what? There was evening and there was morning, right? It closes the first day. Done. God is not on the eighth day or the seventh day or the sixth day. He's not creating anything else on the first day. It's closed. Day three, closed. Day six, closed. The only day that's not closed and remains open is the seventh day. Day seven is still wide open. Therefore, let us be diligent, Hebrews says, to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of those in the wilderness of disobedience. Yes, believers, keep the Sabbath holy. But that is not the way to enter eternal rest. We are called not only to learn of Christ, but to firmly believe that which we've heard. We must mix what we hear with faith. For this same word that was preached to those in the wilderness was of no effect. How do I know that? The book of Hebrews tells us that. Because the word they heard did not profit them because they did not unite it by faith. Beloved, it is not enough for us to just sit and listen to great teaching and great preaching year after year after year after year. We must rest from our labors and put our faith in the finished work of Christ. For David said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When we keep the Sabbath by resting from our labors, we acknowledge that our life is sustained by God. We rest from our labors because we know that our hope is in the Lord, not in our labors. Are you being sustained by God right now? How about Monday? How about Wednesday? How about Thursday? Maybe you never had time to think about it. But God has provided for us a day. The Sabbath is there for us to think about this. If God can create the universe in six days and rest on the seventh day, he surely is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The book of Hebrews says, let us be diligent to work. Diligent, diligent. We find that word in 2 Timothy. Be diligent. Diligent. It means to work, work hard, work really, really hard. But wait a minute, stop. You told me to rest and not work. Are you confused, Brian? No, I'm just reading 4.11 of Hebrews. Let us be diligent to enter. So if we're not working, if we're not laboring to get into the kingdom, where's our labor? What are we supposed to be doing? What is this hard work? If we are resting in the finished work of Christ, then what is the hard work we are called to do? Some of us are working hard to find that one thing that will bring us peace and joy. We are laboring to one day stand before the Lord and offer our best. Hey, Lord, look, I've been working hard. I have been following all the rules of my church. I even gave my pastor $200 for Pastor Appreciation Month. Here, here's my cup. It's full. 
But the song we sung was, here's my cup, Lord, fill it up. It's an empty cup. There's nothing in there. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross of Christ we cling. What is the labor then? What is the labor? We are laboring one day. We are laboring. We are laboring. We have to labor to cease from trusting in our own works for salvation. We have to work hard to believe firmly in the finished work of Christ. We are not going to get to heaven by keeping the Sabbath holy. I think I said that three times. I don't want anyone to move from this message, get up and say, yes, I can get salvation tomorrow if I just keep the Sabbath. You won't. I guarantee you. No one kept any law, any Ten Commandments perfectly, but Jesus and Christ alone. The law is first used to show us all human effort will miss the mark. The law reveals our sin. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, then the law is convicting you of your sin. The remedy, the remedy of your sin problem is not more work. It's not praying five times towards the east. It's not lifting up your hands and washing from here to here and here to here and here to here and here to here and just going on and on and on. That's not how you're released from that bondage. You have to come to Christ, repent of your sins, and receive the forgiveness of sin. Come to Christ, and he will give you rest. You want to stand complete in the presence of the Father, then receiving the one who has kept all the commandments of God and received his righteousness, that you too may enter eternal rest. Jesus said, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. It's in John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you preach. No, that's not what he said. That you pray. Nope, that's not what he said either. Those are good things. That you give everything could be good things. But he said, that you believe in whom he has sent. That's the work of God. It is not enough for us to only learn about Christ. We must firmly believe him. We are called to that hard work. Is that hard work? Yes, that's hard work. Because we have a tendency, our sin nature has a tendency to believe in what we see. To believe in what we Believe, believe in what we have concluded with our intellectual mind. So the work is, I see this, but I have faith in this. I see that, but I have faith in that. That's a lot of work. Wow, you did a great job. Wow, you did a great job. You hear that three or four times in a day? What were you going to think? I did, a, I did a great job. I trust in my works. Wow, you did a great job in your mind. Only because of Christ. Wow, you pray a lot. Only because of Christ. 
Yes, we are called to the hard work. And that's the work of believing Christ and forsaking our sins, forsaking our labors. The Sabbath fuels our hope in him who have begun a good work in you and will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the God who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you have trouble resting? You probably do. So do I. Resting in God's rest is a labor of love. We must work hard to rest in God's rest. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest, he himself has also rested from his labors, as God did from his. If we need to fight to get in, let us fight with all our might. And I don't mean to get into heaven. I mean to get into God's rest. If we must crawl to get in, let us crawl for the glory of God. We must not only learn about God, we must firmly believe that which we have learned. Work hard to disregard your works as a plea to God. You need no other argument. You need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and he died for you and he died for me. My prayer for you, God, you are our creator and you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Those of us who have entered God's rest, let us labor with all our might to rest from our own works and lean on the everlasting arms of Christ, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning. Leaning on the everlasting arms of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach us to see that if Christ has pacified you and satisfied divine justice, he can also deliver us from our sins. That Christ does not desire us now justified to live in self-confidence in our own strength, but give me the law of the spirit of life to enable me to obey you. You have taught us that faith is nothing else than receiving your kindness. That is an inheritance to Christ, a resting on him. I bless you that we are yours in our Savior Jesus. Help us to keep the Sabbath holy, for it is just a foretaste of glory divine. Help us to remember the Sabbath, how you loved us and invited us to delight in your glorious rest, how you have redeemed us from the ravages of sin, and how you are coming again for your people. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty says, come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price say, come. And every Sabbath, let that reverberate in our souls. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.